Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. VBAC or vaginal birth after cesarean is a topic that you may be researching for a current or future pregnancy. There are several factors to consider if you are a good candidate for this type of birth. I'm Kelly Jo Eddy, co-leader of the San Diego chapter of ICANN, and today we'll be discussing the risks and benefits of vaginal birth after cesarean. This is Preggy Pals, episode 96. Um, is that a plus sign? Pink or blue? Hospital or home birth? What type of food should I be eating? I think I just peed myself. I'm pregnant and I have to exercise? What pregnancy glow? Wait, was that a contraction? <laughs> Gotta make these pants fit! I've got cankles! What do you mean there's more than one? You've got the symptoms, and now you've got the support you need for a happy nine months. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. Welcome to Preggy Pals, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Preggy Pals is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for expecting parents and those hoping to become pregnant. I'm your host, Annie Laird. Thanks to all of our loyal listeners who have joined the Preggy Pals Club. Our members get special episodes, bonus content after each show, plus special giveaways and discounts. See our website for more information. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Preggy Pals app, which is available in the Android and iTunes Marketplace. Now Sunny's going to be talking to us about our virtual panelist program. Yeah, so if you guys aren't here in San Diego where we record our shows, you can still participate in our conversations. You can like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you are a fan of Twitter, follow hashtag PreggyPalsVP, which stands for virtual panelists. And we'll be posting some of the questions that we're asking our in-studio panelists. So you can join the conversation, make comments on our Facebook page, and we'll even include some of those comments on our show. And if we do, you'll win a one-month uh, membership to the Preggy Pals Club. Great. Thanks, honey. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go around and introduce our panelists. I'm Annie Laird. I'm the host of Preggy Pals. I have three daughters and uh, no due date. So for once, I'm not pregnant, which is, you know, probably good considering I have two kids under the age of two. So <laughs> my name is Stephanie Glover. I'm 31. I'm a stay at home mom um, to two girls, Gretchen, who is two and a half and Lydia, who's six months old. And Lydia is my um, VBAC baby. And my first, of course, obviously, is my C-section baby. Hi, my name's Natalina Gleason. I'm soon to be 32. But you're still, yeah, you're, you're still not advanced maternal age. No, no. So, yeah. yeah, we're good. We're good. Yeah. Pregnant with my second. My first, David, is my leapling, born uh, in 2012. And I'm hoping to have a VBAC this August. Awesome, thanks. And explain what leapling is again. Leapling, sorry. Yeah. 229. Anybody born on February 29th? That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. See, well, we've just worked out that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it did. He, you know, he picked it. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds familiar. If your baby is going through another bout of bad diaper rash, then you need to give Dr. Mom Butt Balm a try. It was created by a mom who's also a doctor. When my kids were little... I remember using this thick, goopy cream to help soothe their sensitive skin. Ugh, it was so difficult to wipe off. Not with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. 
You only need a small amount, and it's really easy to apply and remove. It's also free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Look for it on Amazon and Walmart.com. Well, sometimes here on Preggy Pals, oh, as our featured segment, we review an app or we talk about an interesting article. So this is, uh, sometimes it's a, a more of an amusing article. This is uh, probably less amusing and actually a more serious topic. Uh, the, the title of the article is The Big Lie in Putting Off Pregnancy. Uh, and this was on CNN and it was uh, broadcast last month. And what it talks about is that there's uh, here, this is broadcast in Southern California. So you see a lot of this around L.A. of all these celebrities uh, who are pregnant references and they're pregnant later on in life. Halle Berry having her second baby at 47 years old. Kelly Preston doing the same thing. Uma Thurman had her third child at 42 and Julianne Moore, Tina Fey, Selma Hayek, all these people are having their babies in their 40s and how there's almost a... Um, you know, it's a, the big lie, basically, that, oh, you, you know, you, you know, no problem if you, you had a, a miscarriage, you know, when you were 38, you have time, you know, you're not even in your 40s yet. A lot of women putting off their pregnancies due to a career uh, or a need to be a little bit more financially stable. I mean, what do you ladies think about this? Do you think that has an effect if, you know, do you see a lot more older pregnant women? And, you know, uh, what is your experience with other women uh, or maybe even yourself having to go through like fertility treatments? What is with the mommy war stuff? Gosh, mm-hmm. it just seems like m- more and more a woman is a mother no matter what her age. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think if, if somebody makes a choice to have a career and to have children later in life, then that's that's her business and that's her life and that's her path. I had my first when I was 22 and I remember feeling so much judgment from the nurse and, and she made snide remarks about my age and how I didn't really know what I was doing when when my first was born because mm-hmm. I was so young. And I just, you know, that was my path. And that was what I chose. And good for me. And, you know, Halle Berry, good for her. She's a hot mom. And she's hot. What, how old is she, 47? Yeah, she's 47. Say, you know, good for her. That's what I... That's but do you think that, that it's deceiving that women look at Halle Berry, that she is 47, and think, oh, well, I can get pregnant at any age, and I, I, you know? Yeah, I will say that I think that they, that we don't hear everybody's birth story, so we don't know if she had 10 mis- miscarriages or if she went through fertility treatments, because maybe she's not being um, open and honest about it. Some people have an easy time. My grandmother was born in 1920 to her mom at 35. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my family has consistently had their babies in their 30s to late 30s, and that's a big deal in 1920. But not everybody has that, I don't know, that kind of body. And some people in their 20s need fertility treatments. I have a friend who I think is 24 and went through a lot of treatments 
from the age of, I think, 21 to 24 because she met her husband early on in life and they got married early and tried to have a baby. And for years, it didn't work out. Yeah. And so she had issues in her 20s. It's yeah, same, same. I'm thinking about specifically another Navy family mm-hmm. that I know that, um, you know, she was in her, I think she was maybe even 19 uh, when she uh, married her husband and, you know, wanted a family. But, you know, hey, we're young. It's okay. Let's just enjoy our relationship. But be, it became apparent over years and, and this is just early 20s where right. they realized and I think it was like sometime where in her mid 20s she went, underwent uh, IVF um, and uh, maybe this is a good uh, you know topic for you know twin talks uh, you know, a good article for them because right. a lot of times when you do that IVF then you end up you know with multiples, multiple, mm-hmm. with multiples right and so she had uh, three babies she had, tri- had uh, triplets two boys and a little girl and they are just darling but um, you know, a lot of negativity uh, towards her, you know, and for her, she was, yeah, it was challenging because her husband was like pretty much went on his department head tour and deployed uh, right from when the kids were born. And she was home by herself, you know, you know, young mom, you know, in, in her 20s. But she was blessed. You know, she felt very grateful for her triplets. So yeah, I, yeah. I just I, I like that we're getting to the age where people are a lot more upfront and honest. I mean, I miscarried before I had my son and luckily I got pregnant right away. Mm-hmm. But um, I try and be pretty vocal about it, not to the point that I'm, you know, blasting it on Facebook for everybody because I don't want sympathy for it, but I want it to be a well-known thing that a, a lot of women have miscarriages. A lot of women yeah. lose babies further on in their pregnancy. I was luckily very early on, luckily, but yeah, um, it wasn't it wasn't as if I were, you know, 16 weeks along. I had a friend that that lost her baby at 24 weeks, and um, she was very open about it. You could talk to her and ask her questions, and I I like that we're getting to that point. And I wish that moms that were having their babies in their 30s and 40s would tell us about their journey because for some of them maybe they get pregnant first shot no problem and every, you no, know, have happy, a great the happy birth. part of the story that's awesome when IVF works and right. you know you're able to have these right but you know and I, I think I do agree with what the editor is writing in this column you know in this article saying you know um are we really seeing the other side of it the, the some of the heartache that's associated maybe with financial costs right. the pain yeah emotionally and physically yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right mm-hmm. i i don't think that it i i think you're right i think it does kind of give us this joyous look on how look you can have your baby in your 40s and 50s and have everything you've ever wanted but for some people it would work but what about the people that spend a hundred thousand dollars and lose multiple babies and still nothing mm-hmm. and i can speak to you know we planned both of our girls and we were you know I was 28 when I got pregnant with my first 30 when I got pre- pregnant with my second and we were ready and that we decided to start trying and we were married and kind of going on the traditional path but in so many ways you're still never ready so i think um just to like touch on that piece of it one thing i could say to the woman who might postpone it for 10 years to focus on other things, just knowing that in those 10 years, you still might not feel ready. (laughs) So, you know, we all kind of go through the anxieties of it, even when it's planned and we're young. I mean, I am agreeing with all you're saying, but if somebody is, you know, maybe running off to that awesome career that they have and they feel very fulfilled in it, you don't want them to feel pressured to have a baby just because the clock is ticking. You know, if they're comfortable in their place and they and they feel like their time is not right now, I don't think that society should push them, you it's know, like, kind oh of pigeonhole them. Yeah, oh my right. gosh, you're 30. You better get and on. And you're a right. woman, yeah. so this is your place. Yeah, you know? right. Mm-hmm. That's a good point, too. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. 
So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Today on Preggy Pals, we're talking about planning your VBAC. Joining us today is Kelly Jo Eddy, who is the co-leader of ICANN of San Diego. ICANN is the International Cesarean Awareness Network. Kelly Jo, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. Thanks. Now, let's start off with just the basics here of VBAC. You know, I was surprised when I was planning this episode, I was trying to get panelists and talking to people, you know, pregnant moms, and they say, What's VBAC? So what does that even stand for? Well, VBAC, V-B-A-C, sounds, is, uh, stands for vaginal birth after cesarean. So it would be a mom who has had one cesarean or even two or three who is planning a vaginal birth. Okay. There was a uh, big article that came out, uh, the American Academy of, uh, what was it, of uh, gynecologists, right, um, that was talking about all these new, that uh, continuous labor support was a good thing for reducing the cesarean rate, and it talked a lot about reducing the primary cesarean, so the number one cesarean, basically. So um, so basically, what's what's the big deal about VBAC? I mean, why wouldn't she just go ahead and, you know, schedule a cesarean? Why, why shouldn't everybody have a cesarean? Wouldn't that be easier? Well, a repeat cesarean may be easier when it comes to knowing exactly when your baby is going to come, but it might not be easier on your body or on your emotions. A lot of women have uh, what we call a traumatic cesarean birth with their um, with with their first birth or second birth or whatever number they have their cesarean and they can have a lot of birth trauma from that and um things that they need to work through now is it uh are you talking like emotional trauma or or physical trauma both oh okay some women can have um you know scar tissue that's built up they can you know physically and they can have a really rough recovery some women it takes a long time I know that with my cesarean delivery it took me maybe four weeks to be able to get up and walk to the bathroom on my own wow it was a really difficult recovery some women need to have therapy with the with the scar tissue that's going on they get infections I know that I my incision got infected and that was really painful and so uh, now on, on the emotional side of it um a lot of women feel that they were robbed of their birth experience. We see on on the movies they this you know the husband's on one side and the other whoever a nurse yeah, or the nurse or somebody's yeah. on the other mm-hmm. side holding their hands. Everybody's yelling push push. The baby comes out. The doctor catches it. The mom's sobbing. Everybody's so happy. She's beautiful and glowing, and it's just her be- makeup is perfect. Her of makeup, course. of course, her hair's yeah. just in place, and yeah. she's sobbing and holding this beautiful baby. And you have this moment that ah oh, childbirth moment. I did it. Yeah. Yes, you have that triumphant moment. And in a cesarean birth, um, a lot of times, especially if it's an emergency cesarean, you you miss out on that. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of moms feel like they don't have that, oh, I did it, birth warrior mama moment. And they, they want it. They want it. And they deserve it. And so um, that's the, a lot of what women um, kind of go for with their vaginal birth after cesarean is they're they're looking for their moment, and it's not selfish mm-hmm. to to want that. Every mom and every baby deserves a healthy, ideal birth the bo- the birth that they choose. I think that it is a a woman's right issue. 
Um, personally, I think that a lot of women are being pushed around, and it's it's really unfortunate. And I yeah, think you always hear kind of like, well, you had a you know a healthy baby and a healthy mom, and you know, and and there's probably more than that, you know. Yeah, a lot of cesarean moms have a really visceral react reaction to that because mm-hmm. people are pushing their opinions onto them. It's almost like a sit there and be quiet kind of a thing. Don't complain because you have it. You have it right. And you, you know, a, a, a woman who's had a traumatic cesarean will want to shove it right back in their face and say, you know, you don't, you don't know what my experience was because it can be very. Well, um, like you said, you weren't there with me at two in the morning when I couldn't walk to the bathroom by myself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a lot of loss of kind of uh, self control. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and especially in the in the birth experience world, you want to feel like you're on your own territory. Mm-hmm. You want to feel like you kind of own the space that you're birthing in. So it's a safe space. Mm-hmm. And when when the power is taken from you and you're kind of strapped down or told to be quiet or told that you're you're not in control or what you say doesn't matter, it it's taking the power away from a woman. It's taking the power away from the mom. And I think that that um, that that's what kind of makes it a, a woman's right situation. That yeah. Now, what would you say was the biggest benefit uh, after a woman has had one or more cesareans and she has a vaginal birth? What's the, what's the benefit to the mom for having that vaginal birth? Well, first of all, speaking physically about the mom, there's one less scar on her uterus. If she wants to have future children, she won't have, you know, that extra incision site, that extra scar tissue built up. So that's really beneficial. Um, But emotionally, a lot of women um, find a lot of healing in their vaginal birth. They, healing, sometimes that they didn't even know they needed. Um, And and they'll feel very um, empowered by it. They'll feel like they were the one calling the shots because this is their body, and you can have a lot of violation. Um, you can feel very violated sometimes in birth if you're not the one calling the shots. So if you get with a provider and with a birth team who's really um, building you up and making you feel like you're the one in control of the situation, especially in a, um, in a situation where you may be, um, I don't know, topless or, or naked or, you know, you're very exposed and vulnerable and your um, inhibitions are down. You, you want to feel still in control of the situation. I feel like that's really important for women. So I think having that vaginal birth is kind of after having your cesarean or even being able to try for it, even, you know, even if something happens and you do end up with um, a repeat cesarean, just going for it and feeling like you're it's the one calling. Having that trial of labor. Having yeah. that trial of labor mm-hmm. that we call it a toll lack, trial of labor after cesarean, mm-hmm. that um, really puts you back in the driver's seat. And it kind of makes you feel like you're the one in control of your own body. Yeah. Stephanie, I'd like to hear what your experience was. What did you feel? Because you had a cesarean and then your baby Lydia was your VBAC baby. What did you feel was the biggest benefit uh, to you um, with having that VBAC? Um, just that I got, I got that ideal birth. I got the birth that I missed out on. Um, and knowing that, you know, she picked her due date or her birthday, um, that she did really well in the laboring process and that she benefited from all the good bacteria by yeah, talk about the microbes. The, the yeah, microbes. That's the latest yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like her lungs got the compression that they need coming through the vaginal canal. And she got I the heard good she bacteria. screamed a lot when she came out. Hey, so, yeah. she was ready to go. Yeah. She <laughs> had a lot to say. A yeah. lot to say and, and handled birth beautifully. And we didn't have to hear the, the yucky D cell word of a heartbeat, mm-hmm. you know, heart rate um, that happens with a lot of intervention, oftentimes leading to cesarean. And, 
you know, so for me, getting to sort of have that dream birth that I had hoped for and knowing that um, I was going to get up and walk to the bathroom two hours later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was amazing. And eating as they were, you know, I had a I had a third degree tear and my doula was feeding me a, a Lara bar as they were stitching me up where I had to wait still through the night to even be able to eat after my C-section. Now, and how, I, did, now how did breastfeeding go afterwards? Was that a benefit that you saw for, between your two children? Fortunately, um, I had no problems breastfeeding with either. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that immediate skin to skin that she got, you know, they, I delivered at a baby friendly hospital. So there wasn't a nursery to whisk her away to. I got to literally pull her out up and onto my chest. And that's where she stayed for over an hour. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So mm-hmm. kind of everything I didn't get the first time around where I was shaking, coming off the anesthesia and not able to hold my baby for about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, that first go around really came back full circle and, and helped me heal emotionally as well as an easier physical recovery. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Natalie, and you're coming up to your trial of labor here, uh, yes. you know, going into your successful VBAC. That's what we're all hoping for yeah. you here. Now, what are you looking forward to as far as you had your cesarean with your son, David, and you know we don't know a little boy, little girl yet, but what, what are you looking forward to as a benefit for uh, either yourself or your baby? I, I think just that moment of victory that um, I'm doing what my body was meant to, to do. And um, I, I mean, you, you kind of had the birth that I want. I want to be able to pull my baby out and, and place it on my chest and look into its eyes immediately and know that um, that I did it, that we did it, that I gave the baby the birth that they deserve. And um, just really more of that victory of of strength within myself. But I mean, I will say that with my son, I was lucky enough to at least have gone into a long enough labor that breastfeeding really wasn't an issue for me. And I feel like my body was able to heal a lot more um, because it was already ready to to have the baby that Mm -hmm. I I had all of the hormones going through my body. So I'm, I'm liking a lot of these women that even though they are um, needing a cesarean or choosing a cesarean, that they choose to wait till they go into labor because I feel like your body is a lot. um, It's a lot easier for it to heal when it, when it's kind of ready for the baby to, to, be born. Be, be born. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've, I've heard I, the term yeah. belly birth before, which I thought was kind of cool. Like, you know, it, it's 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 a cesarean, but it's still a birth. It is. You know? It is. And, and and that's one of those things that, like, I, I know that um, it's a possibility still, no matter how much um, uh, positive thinking I do, how many books I read and, and having a doula. But I know that I could have a cesarean and I'm I'm OK with it because I know I've been through it before. And um, but I, I will make sure that I go into labor beforehand. And that was one of the big things when choosing a care provider that no matter what, if that's a necessity that I want to be able to go into labor. Right. Before that. happens. Uh, Kelly, Joe, going into that a little bit more, how if a woman chooses that she is going to ha- have a trial of labor after cesarean, uh, how many women that go for that VBAC uh, are actually get it, get that VBAC? I think it's like 75 yeah. to 85 percent. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. Now, is is VBAC, is it popular? I mean, it seemed like back in the 90s, and, you know, I wasn't, uh, I guess I was of childbearing age in the 90s. I'm exposing myself of how old I am here. (laughs) It seemed like that was kind of the the thing, you know, that it was really popular, and now it seems like it's decreased in popularity. I mean, why is that? Do you think, is it uh, restrictions, or um, just do moms just want to reschedule another cesarean? Is it, you know... Well, you know, we're living in an providers? interesting time right now where the the medical community is being changed and affected by 
the insurance changes that are happening in mm. our in our nation. And, and right now in America, we've had this this shift in in the way that insurance works, and I'm sure that that will have a reflection on the way that birth is affected. But um, yeah, like you said, in the 90s there was there was a shift and there was a change, and that had a lot to do with the fact um, that insurance providers. Uh, they kind of call a lot of the shots, which is unfortunate, but it's just how it works. They said that um, VBACs were not safe, and I think a, a big reason why they said that was because they were more expensive. They, they at, at the time, uh, or I'm sorry, they were less expensive. And then doing the cesarean, because you figure you have to have that extra nurse, you have to have the pediatric nurse, you have to have right. anesthesiologist. Right. You're in the longer hospital stay probably with a mm-hmm. C-section, right. yeah. And if a doctor wants to be appointed with an insurance company, they'd better listen to what the insurance company well, yeah, has I mean, to say. Well, yeah, I mean, he can't practice without liability. Right. So if it's liability insurance, that totally makes sense. Yeah. The liability insurance is saying, no, you, you know, we're not going to, you can do a VBAC. We're not telling you how to practice, but, you know, you won't have liability insurance. Well, who's going to go against that? Right. And I will say that the the younger doctors that I'm seeing fresh out of medical school and, and, and fresh off their residency are are seeming to be much more VBAC friendly mm-hmm. and much more um, friendly to the midwifery um, model, of care. model of care. They're yeah. much more um, naturally minded when it comes to birth, much more supportive of um, the mom being in control. And I, so I think that I see the tides changing and the energy kind of shifting back towards mom being in charge. Um, and it seems like the younger generation of doctors, it, the older generation of doctors and the very younger, the one in the middle <laughs> who were practicing at their peak in the 90s, they're not as VBAC friendly, but it seems like to me, from what I've seen, that the younger ones are, are a more, lot more open. Yeah, a lot more open. Yeah, great. When we come back, we'll be discussing the risks of VBAC. We'll be right back. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. Welcome back. Today we're talking about the risks and benefits of VBAC. Now, Kelly Jo, what is the biggest risk when a woman chooses to VBAC? Well, the big scary word. No, that, the, what's the big scary? Yeah, yeah, the big scary that we always hear about is a uterine rupture. Okay. Now, how often does that actually happen, though? Less than one percent. Oh wow! Is that right? Mm-hmm. Less than one percent. Now, w- with uterine rupture, I mean that—that's actually like a split in the uterine muscle. That's what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I think when we hear rupture, that word kind of makes us think of well, like, like aliens, right? You yeah, expect- it's like the guy in the <laughs> diner, you know, and like, oh my god, it's a uterine rupture. Except he's right. a guy, so he doesn't have a uterus. Especially but, yeah. when our partners who maybe haven't had don't have a uterus if they you know they expect i know my husband kind of said is it like a balloon exploding mm-hmm. is it kind of like that it's not like that mm-hmm. yeah we've heard of we hear about those uterine ruptures where a woman goes in for abdominal surgery later on in life and her her uterus has torn a tiny bit and no one even realized it I, uterine rupture can be a, a, on a spectrum mm-hmm. you know or it could be anywhere from a, a tiny little tear is a more appropriate word to a 
catastrophic, you know, catastrophic yeah. thing. And so, you know, when the the less than one percent is even kind of. Inflated. Yeah, it's even, I feel like it's a little bit inflated because you have these moms who have a tiny tear and it, you know. And they don't find ready. it out. Maybe for another reason, she goes in for the repeat cesarean. Maybe baby's, baby's not handling the labor real well, or maybe she's just not progressing with cervical dilation. They go in to do the, do the, I mean, I guess that could be considered a tear as well. And they go in for some unrelated reason to do the repeat cesarean after a trial of labor that didn't, you know, work out. And, oh, there's a little tear. Right. But that's considered in the statistic. Yeah. Yeah. As someone yeah. who is, is works with a lot of moms who are attempting a, a, a TOLAC or a VBAC, one thing that I really, really like is the more business of being born, they have a whole section. On, I saw that. It's, yeah. On it, uterine rupture. And mm-hmm. I, I loved how they covered it. I loved how they explained it, that it's it's not – this big end of the world thing and I just thought that it was really great mm-hmm. that was nice um, when I was actually interviewing doulas they they talked about that because I up until about two weeks ago thought uterine rupture means you're gonna rupture exactly where you were you had your incision and you better get that baby out in 15 minutes or less or whatever and and they were telling me that it is it's just a the smallest a tear that could go almost unnoticed Mm -hmm. you know some moms have tears and they don't they've never had a cesarean before they have a rupture and they you know now what can a mom do to reduce her risk of uterine rupture um you know there's some things that that doulas recommend like drinking the the raspberry leaf tea and and the uh evening primrose oil capsules and 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 i thought raspberry leaf tea i thought that was like you know raspberry zinger from you know (laughs) (laughs) i had no idea i know yeah celestial seasoning (laughs) i had no idea that was like a black tea and it tasted gross at least i think it did but you like a little little agave a little agave was my favorite (laughs) i like drinking it i I would brew it hot add agave and then i would drink it cold oh yeah i thought it was great it tastes like black tea yeah yeah so you have to see, I'm just not a black tea person. I'm I, I'm coffee person. That's okay. But yeah, yeah, that's that's okay. We'll still like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does the evidence tell us about induction coupled with feedback? Is that something that's generally not recommended? You know, this is something that actually came up on uh, a forum that I'm a member of earlier today. Um, s- someone was asking, they were a doula and they were asking for their feedback client. They said, um, the doctor is thinking about inducing or with Pitocin, is, is that okay? And it can, by a small percentage, percentage um, increase your risk of a uterine rupture, but not so much that you're completely not able to have Pitocin. That's that's kind of a, a well-circulated myth is that a woman who's had a cesarean cannot have Pitocin. They can. I just, had it, yeah. <laughs> and I, I lived to tell the tale. Um, <laughs> you it, just want to ramp it up really, really high. Exactly. Yeah. A responsible caregiver, a responsible OB will start out very slow and very gentle and will use um, – will use precaution. It's it's definitely something that you should talk about with your OB before you, you know, before labor starts, before you get in, into the middle of it. I mentioned, uh, you know, I imagine that um, ideally you would want to go into labor on your own. Right. It yeah. doesn't always happen. My water broke and labor didn't start for 21 hours and, and I was GBS positive. And so um, my care provider used a small amount of Pitocin to get labor going. And as soon as it was going, he turned it off and, and it was fine. Good. Awesome. Are there any drugs that should be avoided if inducing a, a VBAC mom? I've heard stuff about like Cytotec or I'm not sure what the... the uh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> Cytotec is a bad word. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, is, what is Cytotec? And I mean, why why do you hear the bad things about it? Well, Cytotec, first of all, is not originally intended for labor. 
it was not a drug that was intended to treat mothers who were in labor, but um, a nice side effect was that it 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 worked. Um, but it's had a lot um, a lot of it's gained a lot of um, attention in the birthing community as far as our news networks work because it's um, there have been some deaths maternal deaths associated with it. Um, so it's it's something that you know makes me. You know, my sister called me and said, "Oh, and then they induced me with side." She was going over her birth birth story with me. She said they used Cytotech, and my hands went in my hair. I said, "They used what? You let them do what?" And you know, she said, "Oh, well, it, you know, I didn't know." And you know, it's something that you should research and that you should empower yourself about, and that you should ask your provider about if they're comf- You know, ask them. That can be a red flag for you. Ask them, are you comfortable using Cytotech? You know, what's your what's your position on on Cytotech on on why moms? is it used if it's not supposed to be used for labor? Is it like cheaper or something or um? No? That's a good question. I actually just was reading about it, and they they can't even explain why they are using it when they know that it's not it's indicated for it, inducing. It's labor. not indicated for inducing labor. It actually specifically says on there not for um, people who are pregnant, but they're still using it. And Perhaps I think just out of habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Knowing we are creatures work, of habit. Maybe. But yeah, it, I mean that's I literally two days ago was just reading something about it, and they they still can't explain why they why they use it. Interesting. Thanks, Kelly Joe, for joining us today. For more information about the San Diego chapter of ICANN, as well as information about any of our panelists, visit the episode page on our website. This conversation continues for members of our Preggy Pals Club. After the show, Kelly Joe is going to be discussing the risks and benefits about another subset of VBAC, the HBAC, or Home Birth After Cesarean. To join our club, visit our website, www.preggypals.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, my name is Dr. Daniel Singley. I'm a licensed psychologist specializing in men's issues and founder of Basic Training for New Dads. Let's take a couple of minutes to focus on how expectant couples and parents of newborns can keep your relationship strong during the third and fourth trimesters. The birth of a first child often results in a temporary decrease in marital satisfaction, and research has shown that the birth of a child is the most stressful child-related event that parents experience in their entire lives. There are a variety of very straightforward steps that new parents and parents-to-be can take in order to keep their relationship strong, and the key is to be proactive rather than waiting until frustration has turned to resentment. I've developed a cheat sheet for expecting parents which gives moms and dads ways to be proactive about managing some of the issues that can result in problems in their relationship during the transition to parenthood. First, for the expectant dads, 
you should take point on looking for a pediatrician during the third trimester. Interview mom to find out what she's looking for. Let her know any preferences you might have as well and make the rounds to gather the information so you can collaborate together about picking the right pediatrician. This is a great way to help mom out and to be closely involved with your baby's well-being from the get-go. Also, continue to express physical affection. Pregnancy and having a new baby naturally result in changes that can make intimacy a challenge. Even beyond having sex, think about the ways in which you would flirt or express physical affection when you first started dating via hugs, kisses, massages, maybe even a little pat on the butt now and then. The trick is to work at continuing to date your partner even when your instinct might be to spend all your time and energy on your new baby. Also, this is very important, Take the lead on initiating a regular weekly 10 to 15 minute summit meeting to check in with each other. The goal is to connect with each other about how you're doing and not to do family business or hash out logistics. After a successful meeting, mom and dad have clearly expressed how they're feeling personally and have a good understanding of how the other's doing. Resist the urge to do business. Hardwire it into your schedule and do it before the baby comes. If you try to do it after, it's unlikely to start. Finally, fight fair. Conflict is normal, it's a necessary part of a relationship, but it can be that much more difficult when the stress of new parenthood sets in. I strongly encourage everyone to get Making Marriage Work for Dummies by Drs. Stephen and Sue Simring and read chapters 3 and 4 about communication and conflict management. They're a quick read and they give couples clear, easily actionable techniques to keep lines of communication open and to handle conflict productively. Thanks very much for listening, and I hope this information is helpful. I'm Dr. Daniel Singley at NewDadsClass.com, and be sure to keep listening to Preggy Pals for more tips on how new dads can optimize their transition to parenthood. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Preggy Pals. Don't forget to check out our sister shows, Parents Savers, for parents with newborns, infants, and toddlers, Twin Talks for the parents of multiples, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies. This is Preggy Pals, your pregnancy, your way. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care, and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.